0: Sonic
1: Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 54. This is going live on 2nd of August 2007. Just for the purposes of bringing us all together this week, Mark has very kindly decided to, um, to join us, even though he's... Where are you travelling from and to, Mark?
0: My children live in Scotland, and they're not old enough to fly on a plane by themselves. So what I've done is I... Uh, dropped them off with their mum in Inverness and they've left now and I've got to sit in the airport and wait for my flight back which is at um, half past six uh. so
1: I'm in
0: the airport fiddling my thumb so really uh, I think you're doing me a huge favour this will help pass the time immensely so.
1: uh, Well I'm glad uh, uh, but it does rather explain, because what we're doing is we're ringing, um, using you we're, we're ringing Mark on his mobile but don't worry folks, he has got a headset so we're not frying his brain too much um, but um, that's why he sounds a little bit like he might have a sock in his mouth and uh, a pillow over his head at the same time. It's a little bit on the the low, low, low end of hi-fi. Whereas uh, Rich Hilton, who also joins us this week, has, um, has has actually got himself off the internal mic on the Mac, and he's plugged himself into his Mbox 2 and is, is fully dynamic. Can we have a radio hello from you, Rich?
2: Hello there, everybody out there in Radioland. Wow, that sounded oh, really uh. radio. I like that. PJ
1: Tracy, welcome um this week.
3: Pleasure to be here.
1: And we've got two um two more people to introduce. Um Dave Spears is returning to us uh, this week. Um Dave from G4 Software who's been well on flood watch I think and now he's um just dealing with the bad egg smell of retreating river water. Is that right, Dave? Uh yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's sunny today, though. It's beautiful, isn't it? Very nice. It's, we're all on a... Well, I can speak for myself. I'm on a real upper because it's been sunny for two days in the UK, which is more. It's, it's two days more in a row than it has been for weeks, as I know I'm apt to go on about. And, uh, of course, we've got John Musgrave, who's back, fresh back from a holiday as well. How are you doing, John?
4: I'm doing very well. I feel like it's been about, well, weeks since I've been on, to be honest.
1: Well, I think it is, probably, but isn't it,
4: it? Probably is, isn't it? Because you were on holiday, then I was on holiday. Yeah, so. no, it
1: must be, must be six weeks, probably, something like that. John, of course... Um, Engineer, producer, busy guy. Um, Rich Hilton, of course, um, is sort of resident main man for Nar Rogers and Tours with Chic. Uh, Mark Tinley, sound artist, producer, sound engineer, all sorts of things. PJ Tracy, studio owner, comp- composer, musician. Just like to get all those plugs in. Of course, I'll put all the .com addresses in the show notes. It can't have escaped some of us, anyway, that Summer Nam was on this weekend. Summer Nams in Austin, Texas. Uh, Sadly, I was going to go, actually, but um, unfortunately for me, um, we're moving offices. Uh, Sonic Towers is relocating to a swanky new office, um, which does involve eight flights of stairs. So we had to stay and kind of keep our energies ready for the move. But um, I was really looking forward to going to Austin, Texas, because I've never been. But this year... We thought it was going to be a bit light because uh, a few people aren't going. It's Korg and what have you aren't there. But uh, Roland were there, and there were various other announcements. Did anyone see anything in the stories um, that
2: we got through the wire? I like the Boss uh, tape emulator. Uh, They made a Roland Space Echo pedal device that's supposed to model the sound of the old Roland Space Echo. Oh, yeah. I thought, thought that was kind of interesting.
1: They're bringing out a whole load of interesting emulations because they're doing co-brands with Fender, I think, aren't they? So there's a lot of uh, their sort of classic amp models going into foot pedals as well. I
2: suppose it's sort of like hardware plugins, isn't it, almost? It seems. it's Well, obviously, they're software-driven, but all their COSM stuff is
4: is software-driven.
2: Um, anybody else see anything? John?
4: CME have got a wireless MIDI keyboard, which I thought looked quite tasty. Various different sizes. I know we've covered a um, MIDI transmitter receiver thing before, haven't we? Yeah. But this is like a keyboard with it all built in so you can just stick your keyboard anywhere i don't know what you have to stick at the other end but had a massive range like right, up to sort of, 80 meters or something crazy yeah well that's the one because um, i mean
1: they brought out they they announced some things a while back uh, you know because m audio have got their range as well the uh the wireless stuff um but um cme seem to be trumping them as far as range go uh, as range goes i mean whether or not it's it's as advertised we'll have yet to see but uh mm. i'm all for stuff that means no wires
4: yeah, it said it had a reasonably low latency, like three milliseconds maximum or something, which isn't too bad.
1: No, that's not bad but, at um, all.
4: I don't know how these things all slot together when you've got like a wireless MIDI keyboard, wireless computer keyboard, phone, Wi-Fi. I don't know whether it all starts to become a problem. but Right. Um, yeah, that, that struck me as quite quite nice. And also there's a, there's a bit of software from a company called Mixmeister, which, um, which was like a DJ for doing DJ mixes. The first thing I've seen that, you, that is really kind of aimed specifically at that, so you can stick tracks in, I think up to eight tracks, it said, and um, create mixes with tempo changes and all that kind of stuff.
1: Is that the Newmark thing?
4: Yes. I, th- yeah. I think it's Newmark choosing it, yeah.
1: We saw, we've got some demos of that on, this, on the site from Mesa, I believe, which were quite impressive, yeah. Well-
4: I did, I did as soon as I sort of saw the story. I download. I didn't actually install it. I downloaded the software. It's uh, PC only, I think. But yeah, um, I'm going to give that a go because I do quite a few DJ mixes and I use Live at the moment, Ableton Live. So um, yeah, be curious to see how kind of easy it is to use and how good it sounds because that's the whole thing with with um, software that pitches you know, um, tempo matches and stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, I agree. curious.
1: Mark Tinley, you better go next because otherwise you're going to be getting all this radiation for nothing. <laughs>
0: I quite like the look of Notion Music's progression, music software for guitar. I like the idea that I could sit down in front of a computer and it could teach me to play the guitar better. Um, So I might have to go and have a look at that.
1: Um, Dave Spears. Uh, I'm still uh, kind of besotted with this Divisi thing, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Well, they did their launch. I mean, I don't know if you've been following that, but we've been sort of... They're great guys, actually, kind of true... Eccentric kind of interesting guy, Chris Stone, who's a sort of madcap composer. Um, done lots of great stuff, and he's been. We've been sort of keeping an eye on him for well a couple of years now, and I think they've finally launched the Divisi, which is a sort of massive multi-CPU powered um, orchestral library. And we've got some great demos on the site from uh, from previous shows, and I'm sure he was probably doing some equally good demos this show. But it's now uh, actually a product, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, a
4: little bit out of my reach. But yes, some, that's quite a lot of money. Are we talking lots of... it quite expensive. We- $12,000. Yeah, but it can-
1: uh, does that include the hardware? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. PJ, what do you think? Anything for you?
3: I'm with, uh, I'm with Dave. I'm drooling over the Divisi and waiting for the day that I win the lottery so that I can chuck over my $12,000 for my, my new string library.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we talked about yeah. this before. I think you pointed out that actually... You know it's not far off the cost of a single string session yeah
3: that's that's definitely true i mean i think you know if you were going to hire a bunch of musicians here in the united states you could easily pay that that amount of money um it's it's amazing sounding i mean just the the videos from mesa that you have up on the sonic State site blew me away
1: not that really? i'm advocating replacing real musicians with uh with sample libraries of course but in this instance it's it's Chris Stone is such a sort of musical kind of... He knows so much about phrasing and and playability that he's really put... You know, you're buying an enormous amount of expertise. It's not just a sample library gone together. It's this incredibly intuitive and realistic system. I mean, I think the the basic gist of it is uh, when you play two notes of a string library, you're essentially getting 12 players times two. Whereas what he's got is you decide how many players you want within the ensemble. So if you have... You know, a, a thirty-piece string section. You play one note; all thirty of them can play it. Two notes, fifteen on each, etc. But you can divide it up as you like. So it's much more realistic sounding. Is that kind of the gist of it? Mm.
3: Yes, and also along with that, he does a, di- a dynamic splitting. He has a dynamic splitting technology so that you, the string section, the divisi parts within the string section, the the first, second. Violins, the violas, the cello, and the bass will all move along with your fingers. And then you can set up priorities for certain uh, members of the string section to enter first, and then others to come in underneath. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. I, I can't imagine the amount of coding that must have gone into... Yeah.
1: Well, it's all proprietary, I and mean, it's all their own stuff. Anyway, we shouldn't dwell too long on it because we have uh, spoken about this before. But um, it, now it's finally real. Um, you can place your orders over at uh, over at the website. I'll put the link in, <laughs> so I'm sure most of our listeners could easily drop 12k on this. Well, and also, if the pound dollar keeps changing. We might be able to get it in the UK for a reasonable price. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, at the moment we're still we're are we over two bucks now? Two bucks to the yeah. pound.
3: 206 isn't it? Yeah, almost yes, worth yesterday the market closed at 206.
1: I was thinking uh, usually on Fridays you do a big shop in the UK for all your food and stuff and it's almost getting to the point now where it's worth getting a flight to New York and just 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 coming <laughs> over and, uh, and and doing the weekly shop in the, in America.
3: We're becoming a new third world country over here. Carbon footprint Nick
4: there. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Of course I
1: would bring my own recyclable was- shopping bags. <laughs>
4: That makes all the difference.
1: Anything else? The other thing that we we saw, there's a new Roland SP555 sampler, which is uh, is kind of like the flagship of their sampling products. It sort of builds on the SP404, which is kind of a phrase loop sampler, but it's kind of quite funky because it's got a lot of Cosm stuff in it. It's got a lot of other things. It's got 16 velocity-sensitive pads, 37 phantom-quality effects an exciting, no less, new loop capture function, which I can't speak for because I haven't actually seen it demonstrated, uh, beefed up in serm- internal sample library and, and integration with USB MIDI audio connectivity. So um, they say it's created for DJs and loop-based performers and sampler junkies alike, and it's got 16 pads, it has V-Link and D-Beam, and it comes with Sonar LE. So it might be worth checking that out because I know samplers are a bit thin on the ground these days, aren't they? They, they don't kind of tend to come out, and Roland seem to be perhaps cornering the market a little yeah. bit on...
3: Yeah, but they seem to be oversaturating the market. I mean, they, they release. It seems to me that they release a new iteration of the SP line uh, or the MC line uh, twice a year.
1: Yeah, well, they are masters are getting their money back from R and D, aren't they? So I was
4: going to say, uh, I wonder whether these things, whether these sorts of units like group boxes, are more popular now than they have been. Is that? Is that? I don't, I don't know.
1: You, you guys who work in studios regularly, I mean, do they come in do people sort of, you find people kind of go, hey, this is really part of my sound. I mean, Rich, do you find that any of this stuff is, comes across your path? Or
2: I've had some guys um, insist on MPC products and very specific MC, MPC products. Yeah. As, as similar, you know, the Akai line, well, as similar as they all seem to me, the differences between them apparently mean a lot to these guys who then come in and play, trigger two samples from the pads manually and call it a day. Um, but uh, the Roland I believe the reason why Roland keeps releasing these things is because they're trying to uh, usurp some of that MPC business um, well they went the M- straight at it when Akai
1: went without distributorship they came straight out with that MV8000 which is essentially a, an MPC kind of workstation product
2: I think Akai is reaping still, still reaping the benefits of Roger Lin's early interface design and uh, the user interface aspect of the thing because it seems like Lots and lots of people love to use those things yeah. and demand them.
4: It seems like Echo have released some, some cheaper end versions to compete with the groove boxes as well, have they? not recently? Yeah, there's
2: the MPC
1: 500, which is more of a kind of S- like this Roland sampler, but I don't think it's got quite the same level of built in effects and cosm and that mm. kind of stuff. I mean, it's more uh. of your basic sort of just do some
3: beats mm. with. But I think you know we talked about this before. But I think it's down to the um, to the quantizing in these machines. Yeah, that's they true. they all have a different feel to them. And I, mm. I I personally I like the feel of the Roland boxes. I've owned um, a few of them. And they're very nice for making beats. And I, I can't seem to unless I go in and manually juggle MIDI notes inside the sequencer. I can't achieve the same feel for certain things hmm. inside of Cubase or Pro Tools that I can inside. Yeah,
1: no, I know you've said that before, and that does make sense. So perhaps, um, perhaps is it. And Mark, I know you've been silent for a while now. Um, is there anything you want to add to the uh, to the to the summer Nam coverage at this point?
0: No. Thank you very much. I quite like the look of that thing that um, Timberland's endorsing.
1: Is that the Mika? Yeah, that was amazing. What a scoop. That, that's the one thing. O- Open Labs, who have been um, pioneering the kind of all in one workstation, computer workstation, touchscreen, what have you, have have actually somehow got Timberland, who's got to be the world's most expensive endorser I'd imagine, to, to kind of put together a product for them and design the, you know, approve the colours and decide what sounds he wants in it and stuff. Good work on that PR company, whoever got that sorted out.
0: I and mean, the reason I like the look of that is because it's, it covers all of the Ensonic library, and I've got tons and tons of discs for uh, an Ensonic ASR-10, I think, which, um, yeah. which I'd like access to because some of the sounds in those were really cool. From what I can understand, it loads and reads and plays those sounds. So.
2: Well, Mark, I've got an ASR-10 right here you can have.
0: got the whole machine. Absolutely. What about the carbon footprint, though?
2: <laughs> I, I haven't looked underneath it lately, so I don't know
1: what its footprint is looking like. Ah, at. well. You well. always wipe its feet on the way into country, can't it? Wow, you heard it here, folks. The new NN6 music production synthesizer.
2: name the 61 node portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation real-time audio control usb, USB connectivity and computer integration bundled with cubase audio, audio and
5: midi sequencing software to create produce perform with affordable
3: and
2: versatile m6 music production synthesizer from Yamaha
3: www.mm6music.co.uk
1: This week's podcast has been very kindly sponsored by Yamaha UK, uh, who've been running the Yamaha Minimo MM6 competition to go with our 50th podcast. I was hoping to announce the winner of the competition this week, but I haven't had a reply, so I think I'm going to have to draw a new one, so you'll have to stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, so one of the things, as I said, we're moving offices, and I've, you know, we've been kind of emptying all these various cupboards. And I've got all these legacy kind of storage mediums not not notwithstanding i I think I'd binned about twelve or fifteen two inch tapes, which were just kind of old remix stock that had come in in various multi tracks I, I would like to add that they weren't the actual masters, they were copies, okay, so <laughs> I haven't been trashing anybody's <laughs> any, anybody's uh, work, but it just made me think, gosh, you know I mean tape nowadays does anybody use it i mean I know some people like to use it for tracking, I mean or do they?
2: I actually haven't threaded up a piece of tape in a long time, but I do have a very close friend named Roy Hendrickson who works at Avatar Studios, formerly Power Station, Yeah. who uh, swears by tracking to Pro Tools and bouncing his tracks on and off tape uh, with Simpty lock between the DAW and the tape machine. He basically uses it as a signal processor, and he uses it for impact instruments. He doesn't put everything on it. He'll bounce his drums and bass and his like heavy guitars on and off of it. Um, he won't necessarily do it for vocals, as I understand it, but uh, he described the process to me, and it seemed incredibly clever, and Roy is a very clever person. And as regards that attic full of tapes that you've got somewhere, I would highly recommend, if they don't mean anything to you, bulk-erasing them and selling them to some interested party, because right now, the, the, one of the major problems is it's hard to get tape stock, and that which exists is quite expensive, from what I understand. Oh,
1: Really? Damn,
4: Damn.
1: <laughs> I sort of blown that really I only kept the really kind of juicy ones, you know, that I sort of had a sentimental value of. I, I was quite happy to see some of those tapes go because I remember how dreadful the work I did uh, subsequent to getting them was. But, um, but yes. think of
2: the joy you would have had in bulk erasing them then. You know, that's a yeah. very good point. Finch In particular, I think is harder to come by these days. I know that at one time, uh, Argosy, which was what was left of Ampex, had stopped making it. And now I believe they make them to order. Gee. I could be wrong about that, but they may actually make stock, and that would be the to-order sound right there.
4: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Another announcement coming in from Tinley at uh, Inverness Airport.
4: I reckon it's probably a couple of years since I've recorded anything to tape. And like you, I'm I'm moving house shortly, and I've just discovered a big pile of tapes in my loft, so um, I haven't really got a clue as to what to do with them. Um, I'm not going to sell them now. I'm going to keep them because they're be worth something. But I've even got I've got unused reels, you know, like where I bought <gasps> what, stuff. sealed ready to boxes? Use. Wow! eBay,
1: yeah. eBay. <laughs> but
4: um, I think Bass carried on making tape, even after quantity had sort of sort of said no, they weren't going to make any more. I think Bass was still making some. Right, okay. I think you can still get it, but as regards to using it. Um, uh, it's just too much hassle. It's just too much hassle now. I think, to be honest, and yeah. unless anyone's willing to pay for the tape that you're going to use and the time it takes to transfer it off, back in, the, you know, the, the time and the cost, are the two issues, and no one wants to pay for that anymore. So,
1: Dave Spears, uh, when was the last time you came across tape and actually had anything to do with it? Blimey,
5: years and years ago. Um, I've still got a load of masters downstairs tucked yeah. away. Which um, just, but actually, they make really good shelf dividers. Between the various magazines and stuff like that. Yes, because they're very heavy, aren't they? Yeah. But I do know a band who um, will do everything, you know, Logic Pro tools and all the rest of it, and then they'll master onto a, onto a really gorgeous hand-peg recorder. Yeah. Uh, and just you know, oversaturate it and stuff like that, and uh, that always sounds particularly gorgeous.
1: PJ, are you uh, are you fond of tape? Does it have any hold any kind of any allure for you anymore?
3: Uh, well, it's been a while. Um, I di- used to work in a studio. Uh, in downtown Minneapolis called Orphan Records, and we had a beautiful 24-track Atari machine. Um, but it's been a lot of years since I've recorded the tape. Uh, what looks interesting to me is the new Knave, or it's it's actually Rupert Knave, the Portico Series 5042, I believe is the name of it, um, where he's using um, a tape head circuitry in a line in a line amp situation. And oh, right. I, I haven't heard this particular device, but the mm. recent reviews that I've read, I, I had it
4: on trial actually, PJ. Hunt.
3: Oh, well it just in print, it sounds, it sounds great. So, but <laughs> in print, everything sounds great. So, <laughs> uh, It's a good box.
4: It's a really good box. And it's a really good idea.
1: We've just had uh, the real t- the digit design real tape suite, which seems like, if you on the face of it, com- you know, considering what we're talking about, seems like a very good and int- uh, useful move on their part because it's primarily because of Pro Tools probably that tape is is suffering such a sort of uh, uh, a-, a low point at the moment. So, I mean, they- what they've done is they have brought the real tape suite, which emulates various types of tape and types of machine. We thought it was okay, um, but I mean, obviously, it's very
2: specialised. Is that sound something that you would bother going to all that trouble for? Sure. I haven't tried them. I'm looking at it right now. Um, it interests me. For one thing, there's a rather narrow range of good flangers available in um, uh, TDM world. And it's interesting to me that they've released a flanger. And they are TDM, aren't they? They're not RTAS. I
1: think they're both. I think you're oh, right. But
2: you can run them on the cards. so. Yeah. Uh, that interests me, another saturation plug I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to compare it to that Rupert Neve device that PJ was just talking about, which has interested me, sort of, you know, theoretically as well. Um, and I'm not surprised by the romance in uh, old gear and in the sound of tape and in the desire for UAD to put Neve stuff on their, you know, name, product branding on their, on their products and stuff. None of this surprises me, and I, in fact, have just built a new room around Almost entirely old vintage gear, some of which is neve. It's uh, there. It the stuff. They, you know, when you start listening back to some of that stuff, it sounds great. So, if you can emulate that, if you can make your disc system sound anything more like that, I can see why it would be desirable.
0: I don't think you can make it sound like it though. I think that's the problem. I mean, I think I think that the industry suffering from Jaguar-style brandy. And what I mean by that is if you buy a Jaguar X type, what you're really getting is a Ford Mondeo with a Jaguar badge. And, um, you know, I don't want to drive a Ford Mondeo with a Jaguar badge. I want to drive a Jaguar. I want all the gentlemanly leather and walnut James Bond and cigars and, you know, to have that whole psychological illusion of it being a good car. I think that the Mr. two-track, multi-track machine is sort of like the same kind of thing. I mean, people want that kind of that romance and that kind of the feel that they're getting something special but they want it from a plug-in, and they're not going to get it.
1: Do you think it's well, impossible? I, I mean, isn't it possible that there's, they've done quite a good job? I mean, is, is that inconceivable?
0: No, I do think it's impossible, and I'll tell you why, because I've started really getting into those binaural recordings with that binaural headset. Yeah. And what I've noticed is that when I've got the binaural he- oral headset on, if I'm standing in front of something and recording it, if I move my head, I don't think I'm making that massive amount of difference to the recording. Um, but when I listen back to it, I notice that even slight movements in the, in the um, you know, when I move my head slightly, it will shift the stereo field about really wildly. So I'm sort of having to learn to stand really rigidly still. So putting that back into the plug-in kind of um, world, what people have done with the plug-in is they've taken a very... Static snapshot of a sound of tape or whatever it happens to be, right? And I think in the real world, when things, things change around, particularly like when I move my head, my brain compensates and it knows I've moved my head. And that's, that's where the key lies. Even with something like recording to tape, what happens with the emulation stuff is that instead of sort of adding a dimension to the sound, which is what happens when you record to tape, it's fil- they're filtering and taking a dimension away. And if they're Mm. applying a series of comb filters to change the sound of something to sound like it was recorded on a tape, they're also taking away some of that information that your brain uses on the perceptual thing. So when you listen to a mix that's been done with a lot of these emulation things, what you're getting is something that sounds a lot more static than it really is.
4: Just coming back to what Mark was saying about the marketing aspect of the whole thing, though, he's absolutely right. Um, And the floodgates have opened unbelievably in the last... Eighteen months, two years, with regards to branding of plugins. Um, no, no, not wishing to be specific, um, I've just got, I've got the new um, API collection from Waves to try. Yeah. And obviously, Waves have done um, some Neve stuff. They've done um, some SSL stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm not picking on Waves specifically because I think their plugins are great. But it, it's, there's been a sudden shift in the last year, a year and a half, towards. Um, branded plugins, because UAD's been around for a long time, and, and has had you know its kind of basic 1176 and LA2 and stuff on board for ages, and yet in the last year or two, they've expanded considerably with far more branded plugins, and the same for everyone, I think, all the plugins, um, plugin, you know, sort of EQ and effects plugins.
2: Yeah, I think some people do synthesizers too, don't they? <laughs>
5: yeah, I think in a lot of cases, I mean, from a kind of software person's perspective, you're looking at ways of legitimising it and getting over this kind of oh, it's not as good as the original. By particularly if you're emulating something, but I don't think. I mean, I I feel quite passionate about it. That actually, it doesn't cut it because you cannot. We would never, ever, ever pretend to be any other company than we are. So I I, I, I find it slightly distasteful that actually my heritage is taken and rebadged as something that actually it isn't. Um, The bottom line is it's money, isn't it? If you pay the right fee and you make the the right relationships, then anything's possible.
0: I mean, I think you're already at an advantage anyway because the software that you're making is already... I mean, a synthesizer is already something with a series of filters in that's filtering an original waveform and changing the sound of it to produce sound. So you're emulating something that, by its own... You know, the way it's designed takes stuff away from the sound. I think it's the real world plugins that I've got a problem with, like the guitar amp ones. Good as they are, I still I find the staticness of them really annoying. Um, and that's in a few short months, having got the line six thing. I now don't love it as much as I love it, because when I move my head around, it doesn't do the same thing as a guitar amp. Or a mm. guitar amp through a real sm 57 through a real desk with a finger on what it is. Yeah,
4: well, that, that's interesting, because I always feel that with the guitar amp plugins, they all, each of them, specifically to a manufacturer, has a certain sound to it. So even though they make lots of different sounds, you can kind of spot that it's a certain type of plug-in, I think.
2: All right, so Mark, I, I wanted to recall a conversation I had with Colin McDowell of McDSP regarding the analog channel in particular, and he was pretty clear with me about the fact that the action of the plug-in changes with regards to the level of the input at the least and possibly the content of the input. So it's okay. not, in fact, a static snapshot of a single state of being applied to any given input at any given level. There is... Uh, th- they are di- written to be dynamic and to behave differently, at the very least, at different dynamic levels, as he explained what? it to me. I would, I would okay. say, you know, lots of people would probably argue the same thing.
0: What about um, air temperature, barometric pressure, machine alignment... Um breaking down capacitors. I did actually see air temperature in
2: somebody's software recently where you got to choose... The temperature of the space that you were modeling—I don't recall whose I saw that in—but I did see That's that. Kind of,
0: yeah, I mean, sound does travel at a different speed depending on the temperature of the air. I'm sure a yeah. few degrees don't make a lot of difference.
1: Yeah, but come on, Mark, are you telling me that you will actually kind of refrain from recording old style? You think, all oh, no, the air temperature's wrong to to do this vocal. I mean, you know, really.
0: I like the yeah. I like the element of the matter of chance about right. it. I think I like the variable. I like. I think that somehow they need to work the variable into into the software.
1: Well, I think we're perhaps asking a little bit much from uh, you know a two hundred and forty nine dollar plug in but uh, maybe <laughs> sometime in the future that that you know there'll be there they'll, this capability will be uh,
3: possible. May we hear from John on how the the fifty forty two Portico device sounds?
4: Yeah, you can. Um, basically, it's got two speed settings: seven and a half IPS and fifteen IPS. Right. The fifteen IPS is really sounds like a high-frequency enhancer, a subtle one, but it basically, you know, it has that kind of, um, I mean, what, like, from what I understand on the unit, they've they've included the sort of pre-emphasis circuitry you'd have got on a half-inch tape machine, or a quarter-inch tape machine, and you get that, that aspect to it, so it does sound brighter in the top end. The 7.5 IPS sounds duller, more middly, and it sounds less stereo. Okay. Those are the things I, I, I drew from it. But, it, it, but it's a great unit, and of course, the, dri- the amount you drive it affects how much that effect is 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 dominate, dominant in the signal. I
0: suppose
4: Excellent. they haven't done a thirty-inch per no. second with Dolby S on it because that would probably have to come near every well, two digital audio Workstation anyway. It, it's really strange you say because I was just thinking to myself, no one's yet because I used to use a Dolby A encoder as an enhancer. Yeah, like I use a Dolby Rack as an enhancer, yeah. just uh-huh. to encode. Yeah. And no one's yet done a done because of Dolby, I suspect done a, a kind of enhancer plugin that takes advantage of that concept, like a pre-emphasis kind of concept.
3: Right? McDSP has that built into their okay. into their got a, analog channel too. All those tape, all those tape emulators out there, Voxangos and uh, McDSP and um, PSP. They do the mm. vintage warmer. And, the vintage uh, warmer.
1: Yeah. Vintage warmer. Yeah. Supposed to be pretty good though.
3: Vintage warmer is an excellent I, I own that plug in and it's an excellent plug in and I'm thinking of the, I, I, I don't own the one I believe it comes in their mix pack, but I've heard of the mix presser or um, one of those that is supposedly em, emulates tape but I've, I've heard the results and I don't think they sound like tape It's an interesting sound on it on its own, but it it's not tape right uh,
1: well we've lost mark um, and I hope his head's all right, and he's not too um, radiated from clasping the phone to it. Those uh, rather eerie tones are um, the sound of uh, well, I can't pronounce them live on air, but um, let's just say that they're Ken Macbeth's uh, band. Now, Ken Macbeth, for those who haven't been following the show, is a sort of uh, uh, a sort of legendary synthesizer maker. He makes the, the Macbeth System synthesizers. He makes some great stuff. He makes one particular, which is uh, the recent M5, which is as uh, like a large format version of the ARP Twenty Six Hundred, and it looks absolutely fantastic. And he's got a band, and uh, they're on MySpace. But he, he collaborates with a variety of people. So there's Gino Robert, who's an electronic musician, editor, and drummer, with various outfits, including Tom Waits. Mike Brown, uh, who's a, from Livewire Electronics, who's a synth manufacturer. Eric Barber, I know, who, uh, who makes Metasonics valve-based products. And his stuff is absolutely fantastic, uh, at least in character. And a chap called Alessandro Cortini, who plays... Keyboards currently with nine inch nails, so it 's quite a lineup. Did anyone get a chance to listen to it because i mean i I had to yeah. choose my um, my bits carefully because obviously it 's quite blue, and anyone who 's ever seen Ken um in the flesh or perhaps seen one of our interviews has realized that his his use of language is very colorful uh, i'm being I'm trying to be sort of politic here, but basically he's a foul mouthed Scottish man. Who's uh, who's a good? He's a great guy, and uh, but doesn't tend to tone himself down for anybody. Muddy Pants has got to be the best track on these MySpace. You know, you don't often get to see people who make synthesizers making music and doing what they they do musically. So this is kind of quite a rare treat. And he's he seems to have taken it. You know, he's got makeup on and looks. He looks kind of quite. He's in character, even more in character than he is when he's just
2: him. <laughs> hey Nick, excuse me, I've got Mark Tinley in a chat window saying that he's commandeered a landline and he's given me a phone number.
1: Well, Mark, the ever-resourceful Mark Tinley, after, after dropping off because we ran out of cash um, on the credit, I've still only got one euro left, has joined us again from, uh, I can only assume, is a payphone.
0: I am in a payphone, yeah. Excellent.
1: Anyway, we were just talking about um, Mr. Ken Macbeth and his music. I wanted
0: to talk about... I love his music. It's fantastic. Um... I was slightly distracted by the fact that he had Chloe Vevrier, whose name I can't pronounce, as one of his top friends. I spend more time looking at her, my space, than his, I think.
1: Yes, she's a rather well-endowed lady, isn't she?
0: (laughs) But then I I got really curious, and he also has somebody called Latricia as one of his top friends, who's a white man who cross-dresses as a black woman. And he or she actually looks really good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's amazing. It's kind of a journey of discovery into the sort of un- <laughs> underbelly of synth manufacturers, isn't it? Dave, I know you enjoyed this. I think Ken's a hero. We
5: need more people like Ken in this industry. And anyone who can write a song about called Old Bucky, which I assume is about Buckfast, the old uh, legendary Scottish vino,
1: is all right by me. It's a wine, is it? Uh,
0: it is a wine. Ah, yes. it's ma- actually made in Devon, in Buckfast, Lee, in Devon. And then shipped up in brown paper bags to Scotland, (laughs) ready, ready,
4: ready for consumption.
1: But that's that's quite a collection of collaborators he's got there. And presumably they just kind of work on it, you know, um, severally and and jointly. I don't know quite how it works. He doesn't go into it too much, but uh, you know people from Nine Inch Nails Eric Barber I'd love to hear what, he, what his particular contribution was but I can imagine H- Eric Barber who's also a great individual he's the chap who names his his products sort of quite bluely and describes them in really coarse terms I think there's any one way of doing it those together in a room might be kind of something totally unbroadcastable
5: yeah I know Alessandro quite well he's, um, he's a good mate And a great keyboard player.
1: That one, which is called Walk the Walk, is a particular... There's some really... It's probably the most high-fidelity-sounding one that there is on the the playlist. But there's some great sounds. I mean, I'm hoping that's something that Ken made, because I just like to think of him making those sounds on his M5, and there there was some some sort of ring mod thing going on there, I think, by the sound of it.
5: Well, I'll tell you this much. I played it to Chris this morning. I made Chris sit down and listen to it all, and we watched the video and everything. And then we went straight to the site, looked at the M5, and went, hmm, not a bad price. So with a bit of luck, I might be able to persuade my fellow Scotsman to part with with some cash, and we may end up with one. But it sounds great. I've played it at the shows and stuff like that. And I mean, it is an awesome, awesome machine.
1: And it was. Mm. I mean, it's not... It's, it was a couple of thousand pounds, which isn't actually that excessive. for uh, uh, You know, if you were to buy an ARP 2600, I mean, this isn't an ARP 2600, I like to say, but it is, you know, it's got a lot of the kind of... Features that an ARP Twenty Six Hundred had, including the sort of rubbish reverb and what have you. So,
5: yeah, I mean, we were discussing it earlier, saying that actually, when you think that the Twenty Six Hundreds are reasonably unreliable, and they've got those horrible poxy little jacks that you know to do the patching, with Ken stuff, it's got quarter-inch jacks. It's big, it's robust. I mean, it's built like a tank. So, with a bit of luck, we'll probably get another twenty years worth of use out of it. Uh, Does it sound like an ARP? It actually sounds like a hybrid between an ARP and a Moog. Wow. So it's pretty diverse.
1: I mean, the thing that's great about Ken is, obviously, you know, he he's a one-man operation, so it takes a while to put all this stuff together. So when you get hold of one, it's actually probably quite a rarity, to be honest. I think he only made a few um, M5s. I don't know what the exact amount is. They're like limited editions almost, just because, because he's small, he's not going to order 100,000 component sets or whatever, you know, so... If you can buy into that and get hold of one, then it's a very collectible thing and will be quite unique, I'd imagine. But anyway, I thought that was kind of fun, and um, I'm not going to play anymore because I don't want to get flagged by iTunes as having illicit content.
5: And you certainly don't want Ken paying you a visit to collect his royalties.
1: Oh, well, that's, yeah, I hadn't (laughs) thought about that. (laughs) Um, Oh, well, let's have a couple of quickies then. Um, Apple have just announced that um, they've hit the 3 billion sales I- um, iTunes milestone. How about that? 3
4: wow. billion?
1: 3 billion. They've, down- they've had 3 billion sales. That's pretty amazing. I- I'm not sure that could be right. That just sounds like such an enormous amount. Is that? Could that be right? How many albums have ever been sold in the entire world and how many tracks on them? Would that add- actually add up to 3 billion? Sounds like a-, a figure that... 300
0: million albums roughly, is it? Is it an American billion or an... Are uh, a UK billion though, because in the UK billion is a million million.
1: I think it's probably but an American billion. An
0: American billion's a thousand million, isn't it? <laughs> Which is a lot less. Yes.
1: So if you're a UK billionaire you really are very rich indeed. Can I be one of those please? Yes, and me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just thought, well that's three billion people who've downloaded 3 billion tracks at 20, uh, 128 kbps I wonder if they're all satisfied customers I know some of us <laughs> here probably aren't but uh, we won't go there because we've been there so many times but uh Sorry. State. okay I think we're going to call it a day uh, as you can hear Mark's in, a, in, a, in an increasingly busy airport uh, it sounds like you're approaching Russia there so thank you very much for hanging on and finding your way through to us Mark Tinley
0: you're welcome been a pleasure
1: and also thank you very much to PJ Tracy in Minneapolis uh, for joining us again this week uh, thank you and Rich Hilton in sunny Connecticut. I hope you're going to have a nice day today, and everything will be hunky dory. Thanks, Nick. Always a pleasure. Dave Spears from G4 Software, and um, well, in sunny sort of Reading kind of area in the UK. Thank you.
5: Brilliant. Thank you very much.
1: And John Musgrave. Thanks for joining us once again, and uh, I hope to hear from you all very soon. Thank you, John.
4: Thanks, Nick. Have a good day.
1: Sonic Talk is a member of the Home Recording Net- Network. If you want to hear any other uh, broadcasts on making music, recording, people making music, whatever, um, visit homerecordingnetwork.com. And remember, if you want to get in touch with us, do call us. We've got a Skype-in number, which is Sonic Talk. We'll be happy to take any messages, shout-outs, whatever. Just just call and say hi. You can also reach that number if you're in the US on 312-376-8089. There's an answer phone on the end of that. Um, if you're outside the US, just dial your international code before that. And we've also got a UK number, which you can dial, which is o2 020- 0207 870 8616 that's 0207 870 8616 or you can email mp3s comments or whatever to Sonictalk at sonicstate.com
0: sonic dot com